Hello, welcome back to Undressing the Issue. I'm Julia Alperovich, your host. And today, the issue that I wanted to undress is the issue of what to expect in going to therapy. A dear friend of mine, um, who I talk to all the time, recently, she's very curious about the types of uh, cases I see, the types of problems I handle. We were chatting and um, she was asking me questions. And of course, while respecting my patient's privacy, I tell her about some of the presenting problems that I tend to see. And she loves to ask me, well, what do you do with that? I wouldn't even know where to begin. And so I started kind of telling her about the process and she was so fascinated and said, you know, you should do an episode on this because I'm sure a lot of people are curious about what it's like to go see a therapist. What is therapy all about? Where do you begin? What can they expect? So I decided to uh, uncover this shroud of mystery and uh, give you a little bit of a peek into what it's like. So um, for those of you who have never been to a therapist before, I totally understand, despite the fact that I am a therapist, um, but I understand the apprehension, I understand the anxiety, the fear. It can be kind of intimidating to go see somebody you don't know and talk to them about your problems, about you know things that are personal and private to you. That's, I, I get it, that's understandable. And where I come from, you know, I'm Russian. Well, I'm Eastern European. I'm not Russian, Russian, like not from Moscow. But in Russian culture, especially the older generations, like my grandmother, they don't really believe in it. There's a lot of stigma. You don't air your dirty laundry to a stranger. So I do get that there is still stigma out there, that it's not this widely accepted, normalized thing, despite it coming more into the mainstream recently, but there's still a lot of um, misunderstanding, a lot of judgment. So hopefully I can clarify that for you a little bit. So here's the deal. You decide to go to a therapist. You make an appointment. Here's what you can expect from the process. The first thing that therapists typically do when they meet a new patient for the first time is we do assessments. So the most important ones that tend to be prioritized are risk assessments, right? And what we mean by risk is, are you at risk of harming yourself or another person? Meaning, do you think about committing suicide or do you think about harming or uh, killing another person? And, you know, where are you in that thought process? Did you already come up with a plan? Or are you definitely going to do it? And so that is our number one priority is safety. Safety first. Same goes for therapy. We need to make sure that the situation is safe. So that's not only for you but it's also for those around you. So for example, um, we're also going to be asking questions and assessing to make sure that there's nothing going on that may need to be reported. 
Now, what this means is that basically therapists are considered mandated reporters, okay? So we are required by law to report to the authorities if there are any instances of abuse happening that you tell us about, abuse of a child, a minor, anybody under the age of 18, abuse of a handicapped person, someone with a disability, or abuse of an elderly person, okay? So if there is some type of abuse and you share that with us, we are required by law to report this, okay? So to Child Protective Services, to the authorities, whatever the case may be. So I just wanna make something clear about the reporting. We're not trying to out you or expose you or get you into trouble. Okay. The goal of this is to keep the person who is being abused safe. And there are laws around this that restrict the ability of another person to abuse somebody who is less capable of defending themselves, like a child, like a handicapped person, and like an elderly person. That's why these laws are in place. Okay. And in terms of assessing you for risk of harming yourself or another person, once again, that revolves around safety, safety first. So we want to prevent you from harming yourself or from another person being harmed by you. So these things, the risk of harm to self or others or instances of abuse are really the only times that Therapists can break confidentiality, and we are required to break confidentiality when those things have occurred, okay? Now, when a therapist makes a report, I will say it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, and they may be angry with that therapist. They may not want to go back, but I do want there to be some understanding that this step is not taken to piss you off. It's taken as a protective measure to protect somebody who is in danger, whose life is in danger. It's about safety, okay? And we do wanna see you after we report this and you have nothing to be embarrassed about, okay? I know that it gets much more complicated than this. We don't wanna piss other people off even if we're not involved in the abuse, but you know, the reality is there is a human being out there who is being harmed and abused and they do deserve the right to be protected. So that is why we are mandated reporters as our nurses, teachers, doctors, it's all, we are all considered mandated reporters, okay? So the first step in this process is uh, establishing safety and stabilization, okay? So stabilization, this is an interesting thing, right? If somebody comes to us and they're in crisis and they are unable to function, they are going through a really rough time, you know, we're gonna want to get them to a place where they can at least function at a baseline level, okay? This means we may need to work with them on 
coping skills, managing emotions, being able to take care of themselves properly. And I do mean things like, you know, getting into a routine and hygiene, all of that sort of stuff. Now, there are some cases where that requires more than just seeing somebody for an hour once or twice a week. And if that's the case, that's called a higher level of care. So a therapist is going to recommend that you seek a higher level of care. This means something that is more intensive, that is more frequent than just, you know, an hour or two a week. So this can include something like an intensive outpatient program or even an inpatient program or residential program, which is where you actually spend some time living someplace full time. Okay, so for example, rehabs that you've heard of, that is a residential program. That is a pretty much the highest level of care, okay? So stabilization, safety first. That is the first thing that we're looking for. That is the first thing we're assessing for. And what that also includes is potentially helping you get additional people on board with your treatment. So maybe for stabilization, it's not just a higher level of care, or maybe that has nothing to do with it at all. Maybe what is required is a psychiatrist that can do an evaluation and potentially prescribe some medications. And if that's the case, we're going to want to give you a referral. Okay. Other things that can be going on is we may suspect that maybe there's something physical or medical going on, in which case we are going to give you a recommendation to go see a physician and get an exam done to rule out anything physical or medical that could be creating these symptoms that you're coming in to see us for. We want to make sure that we're treating what the problem is and that it's not another problem that's outside of our scope of practice to be able to treat. So therapists are encouraged to work with other care providers. We are all trained to work on multidisciplinary teams to collaborate with one another so that if we need to bring a psychiatrist on board or a psychologist to do some type of in-depth testing or a physician to, you know, do some exams or blood work or testing to rule things out, we do this regularly. This is not uncommon and it is part of making sure that you are being treated from a very holistic model. Okay, this is kind of the gold standard in care. This is what is known as a best practice. Okay, so step one is let's establish safety. Make sure you have all of the proper testing and assessment and we're clear on what it is that we're working on. Okay, then we move into the next step. So this is the step that a lot of people dread when it comes to going to a therapist. And this step is basically the assessment stage. So this is where you are having to answer a bunch of questions and basically give your therapist a detailed history of yourself, who you are, what's been going on, what brings you in, what's happened leading up until now? Have you seen therapists before? What did you accomplish there? 
all of that. So this, what we're basically looking for here is what's called a biopsychosocial history, okay? So the bio piece is if you've had any medical issues, uh, medical traumas, health problems, um, any types of chemical imbalances or psychiatric episodes. So we're looking at biological factors, maybe even developmental disabilities, um, maybe traumatic brain injuries, uh, any types of complications at birth, congenital problems that can also contribute to your, your symptoms. Um, that's the bio. The psycho is the psychological portion. So we want to look at what has been your history in terms of your mood? Um, how has that fluctuated? What is the history maybe in your family of different mental illnesses? Um, have you ever had a family member who's been on medication or who's been diagnosed with something or maybe a family member who has had an addiction problem or who has committed suicide? Um, it's really important for us to gather that because there are, well, there's a lot of research data that basically shows a strong correlation to genetics being a factor in uh, mental illness. So we kind of want to see what's been the history, what's been going on, um, who around you has had things happen, how have you coped and handled different periods of your life or difficulties. So that is the psycho. Um, I hate saying psycho, but really it's short for psychological. So biological, psychological, and then the social. So for social, here's where we're looking at, for example, your cultural, ethnic, racial background, your upbringing, the dynamics in your family, your relationships, your work history, your education, all of the stuff that is basically outside of the biological and the psychological, right? We want to get an understanding of what makes you who you are aside from you know biology and genetics and symptoms we also want to get an understanding of how you interpret your world how what makes up your constitution right how has your paradigm your perspective been influenced based on the experiences you've had so this is what goes into a biopsychosocial assessment, okay? This is not just a one-session thing. This information can take some time to collect because, I, I mean, think about it. If somebody sat you down and said, okay, I need you to give me a thorough, detailed history and explanation of you, everything you've been through, everything I need to know about you, every detail, every little thing, you're kind of, it's overwhelming. You're going to be like, huh? I don't even know where to start. There's so much. We're complex creatures. There's so much that makes who we are. So that's why sometimes it doesn't all come out right away. And at times we learn new information for, about you, from you, as we go along in the process. And we just sort of make mental notes about that. We just kind of add it to, you know, the information we already have and put the pieces together. Okay, 
So there's the assessment phase. The other reason why we do that, which I forgot to mention, is in doing this thorough assessment, what we're also looking for or trying to achieve is to basically see if what you've been through or what you're currently experiencing meets diagnostic criteria for a specific diagnosis, okay? We wanna see if, you know, based on what you're reporting to us, if we have enough boxes to check off to be able to warrant a diagnosis. And that can be of just about anything. Okay, it can be anxiety, depression, whatever, but we are looking for diagnostic criteria. Now, diagnoses, it's tough because when you think I have a diagnosis, it can feel like a label, like there's, I have a disease, you know, I, I'm told there's something wrong with me, but really it's less about understanding what's wrong with you versus getting a clear picture of what our treatment goals should be and what our treatment plan should be, what we are going to need to go about doing with you to help you in reducing the symptoms that you're reporting you're experiencing, okay? So not about judgment, more about streamlining our approach to helping. I hope that that difference is apparent to you when I explain it that way. So sometimes when we do have to provide a diagnosis, especially for therapists who accept insurance payments, for example, those therapists are required to give diagnoses, okay? Insurance won't pay without a diagnosis. And there are diagnoses that are not necessarily anxiety or depression or anything like that. It could be... It could be circumstantial, like problems in your relationship or conflict in your you know, romantic relationship or some type of history of something. And you know, there's codes for all of this, but we're getting in way too deep and that's way beyond what you need to know. But that is what we're assessing for. We're trying to get an idea of exactly what's going on so we know where to begin in working with you. Okay. So assessment can go on for more than one session and it doesn't necessarily have to feel like an interrogation. One thing you should know is that every therapist goes about their process a little bit differently and it depends on their training, their um, modality that they prefer to use, their own style of therapy, their personality. Everybody kind of does this in their own way but the bones of the process tend to be pretty similar for everybody because it is what is considered the standard of care in the field of behavioral health. So once we have an idea of what's going on, we've ensured that your safety is intact. We have... Um, stabilized. We see that you are no longer in crisis and unable to function. You're functioning. You're able to talk. You're able to think and to do the work and to really be introspective and reflect. 
and we've gotten your history. Now we can start really working on this treatment plan, moving towards your goals. And most therapists, at least um, a lot of the therapists I know, we kind of start from the surface and work our way deeper and deeper, kind of like peeling an onion, right? You just kind of go through layers. So starting on the surface is kind of starting with behaviors, right? So the surface stuff is changing behaviors. So if you have certain patterns of behaviors that are causing problems in your life, right? So let's say we have some type of compulsivity or we have uh, some type of pattern of um, communicating in a certain way that interferes with our relationships and actually creates a lot of distress for us. We're going to start working on helping to teach you how to change some of those behaviors, just very concrete behavioral changes. This is what many people know as cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, where we look at what are the behaviors, what are the thoughts, what are the feelings, and how do all of those shift if we change one of those components. If we change the way we think about something, if we change the way we do something, can it change the way we feel? And hopefully for the better, obviously that's the goal, okay? That is more of the surface work. Once, oh, well, before I even go into that, I think part of the surface work also is not only changing behaviors, but adding healthy behaviors. So what I'm referring to is coping skills right? Healthy communication skills, coping skills, the ability to regulate your emotions, the ability to, in a healthy way, be able to self-soothe when you're getting anxious, you're getting frustrated, you're getting angry, so that you don't get off track and you can continue to do the work. This is important for the deeper stages of therapy work when we can hit some nerves, we may be doing some trauma work, and we don't want you to become re-traumatized. We don't want this to completely throw you off. So in order for us to prevent that from happening, we have to first arm you with a toolbox of coping skills, communication skills, mindfulness skills, so that you can recognize when we're going too quickly or it's too much so that you can slow things down, get yourself recentered, and so that we can keep moving because this process is not supposed to be harmful, it's supposed to be helpful. But if these things are sort of painful, then we kind of have to go slow with them and make sure that you're okay as we go along, that the pace is appropriate and that you're able to handle it. Okay, so then, then we can go into some of the deeper work. So this is where we start getting into some trauma work, some attachment stuff, maybe working on attachment injuries, traumas, um, family of origin stuff, internalized messaging, this kind of stuff where we can really start unpacking it and seeing how it's continuing to affect us, maybe stuff we thought we've gotten over, we didn't even realize is still there and it's still affecting how we handle different things in our lives. So 
at this stage, once you've gone through all of this and you're into the deeper work, we don't just sit in the depth. There are times when we have to kind of pull out a little bit and slow down, go back to some of the behavioral, the stabilization, and then we can return back to the deeper. It's sort of this touch and go thing. And a lot of it is about making sure that we are not going faster than our patients are comfortable going or even capable of going. Because if we push too hard or too fast, we may cause harm and we are not supposed to be doing harm. We're supposed to be helping. And that means we have to meet you where you're at. And if you're not ready to go a little deeper, that's okay, we slow down. And when you're ready, then we go. So in reality, the patient drives this process. So if you're coming to me, I'm not going to tell you, oh, you know, we've already worked on mindfulness and, you know, breathing exercises for grounding. We really need to get into your deepest, darkest childhood sexual trauma. No, if you're not ready, (laughs) you still need to work on the breathing because even the thought of diving into that subject is super triggering and dysregulating for you. You're not ready to go there. And that's okay. Even if I really want to go there, if you're not ready, we're not going. So I also want to be clear that as the patient, you do have every right to tell your therapist if things are moving too quickly or moving too slowly or if you need for things to be a little different in some way. Maybe you feel like your therapist is way too direct and abrasive and you need them to kind of soften their approach. Or maybe you feel like they're way too soft and they're so soft that you feel like you're not getting anything done. So by all means, tell your therapist. We encourage you to give us feedback. We don't know how it is for you unless you tell us. We're not psychics, we're psychotherapists. Big difference, (laughs) we can't read your mind. So by all means, speak up. And the other piece that I do want to make a note of and let you know is I have a lot of patients who do this. They come in and they've been able to hold it together through X number of sessions. And then one day they break down, start crying in session. And immediately upon starting to cry, they start apologizing. Why are they apologizing? Well, they don't want to feel like they failed somehow in holding it together They also don't want to make me feel uncomfortable. It could be any number of things. But there's no need to apologize. You're here to discuss emotional topics. And those emotional topics are going to bring up emotions. And that's what just happened. So in what way did you do anything wrong or anything that warrants an apology? You didn't. It's okay. There's a reason why I think Kleenex is still a multi-billion dollar corporation. And I think a lot of it has to do with therapists. We buy a lot of tissues. It is for you. We don't all have runny noses. So please don't feel uncomfortable crying. Also remember, as therapists, we don't see people who come to us seeking our services 
because they are in the happiest, best times of their lives. We don't see that. What we see is people who are having really awful times in their lives or they're struggling and they just can't figure out how to move through this and they're reaching out for help, which is a huge step in itself. For some people, it has to get really bad before they actually seek help. So what are we met with? Well, we're frequently met with people who are in a really tough place that can feel hopeless, that is really uncomfortable with people who are suffering. That's what we see. And that comes with tears, hence the tissues. So please, please don't apologize for crying. This is the time and the place. Let it go. Open the floodgates. It's all good. So we've talked about safety, stabilization, assessment, starting from the surface and working our way deeper down, starting with behavioral changes and getting into deeper work on trauma and all of that good stuff. This is basically the process of therapy, and it is a process. It's not cut and dry. It's not linear. It can have some setbacks and then there can be some big strides and progress. And no two people's processes look the same. It varies. And that's okay. And I just want to be clear, you don't have to impress your therapist. Okay? We are not expecting perfection. We don't expect you to get it right 100% of the time, the first time you try it. In fact, when we give people homework, there's a big part of us that kind of expects you not to do it, to be perfectly honest. So it's, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. All we want to see is little by little marginal improvements. Because over time, those add up. And when you get those improvements in small increments versus these big, broad steps and leaps, the smaller increments tend to stick longer. It's kind of like that movie, What About Bob? I don't know, maybe I'm dating myself here, but his whole thing is baby steps. Baby steps, he wrote a whole book on baby steps. That is what it is. I mean, it's a great movie, but... That's what we're looking for here is even small baby steps. Even that is a win for us, okay? So this is the process. I also want you to understand if this is your first time seeing a therapist and maybe it's embarrassing or you're worried about being judged, something you should know is that in our clinical training, in our master's programs or PhD programs, wherever we're getting trained to do this work, one of the concepts that's drilled into therapists or training therapists is the concept of unconditional positive regard. We cannot bring our biases and judgments into a session. It will render us ineffective. It is our job to look at you in an unbiased, unconditionally positive way, to see you for the human being you are versus just a diagnosis or 
a bad person or anything like that. That is not where we're coming from. And we wouldn't be able to do this work if that was how we perceived our patients. And it's unethical because if you are having that, then there's something that you're not working through on your own as a therapist. And it can be harmful to your patients. So I want you to understand that it's not about judgment. We're not here to judge you. You don't have to make a good impression. You don't have to, you know, be a A plus student. You don't have to impress us. Trust me when I tell you a lot of us, especially those who've been doing this work for a long time, we've pretty much seen it all. Okay. Especially me and other clinicians like me who work with, for example, sexual issues. There is probably nothing at this point that someone can tell me that's sexually related that would shock me. I I don't think there's anything, to be perfectly honest. I've heard all of it. None of it is all that crazy. And honestly, no judgment. None of it phases me. I don't really look at people differently. I don't judge. I don't really care what it is that you like to do in terms of expressing your sexuality. My bigger concern is whatever you're doing, how is it for you? Is it happy? Is it satisfying? Is it fulfilling? Or does it cause you distress? Do you have guilt? Do you have shame? Do you have some type of trauma? That to me is way more interesting and noteworthy than what you're actually doing. So please don't worry about judgment because how it affects you is what my job is. That's where I'm supposed to be working with you is around how it affects you and why it affects you that way. Not to judge what you're doing or to tell you if it's right or wrong. That's not my job, okay? So I want this episode to be a glimpse for those of you who maybe are nervous or who are unsure or have questions or feel like, you know, I hear people talking about having a therapist or going to therapy. I've never done it and I don't really know what to expect. And it sounds kind of scary, sounds uncomfortable. Well, I'm hoping that in giving you some information about what that process looks like, and what to expect and why therapists may ask some of the questions that they ask that it'll help you feel better prepared and a little bit more comfortable if you feel like you do need to see a therapist and you don't know what to expect. Well, now you do, okay? Cat's out of the bag, secret's out. I'm sorry to all my other therapists. I leaked are a big secret. I mean, in reality, it's not a very big secret. But for those who've never been, they don't know. So I hope this is helpful. I do want to remind you that every therapist works slightly differently. Everyone has some slight variations on how they handle these things. But for the most part, a lot of this assessment stuff and safety stuff, this is stuff that we're required to do, all of us. No matter how we get it done, we have to based on legal requirements, ethical requirements, it's part of the process, so you can expect it. And don't be surprised if it happens, okay? If you come in talking about some slight anxiety and it's your first time meeting with a therapist and they ask you, have you ever thought about killing yourself? Don't feel like it's coming out of left field. 
that therapist is doing their due diligence, okay? <laughs> they have to ask that. We have to assess for risk. So I'm going to wrap this up and I hope this has been helpful. I hope this can shed some light for those of you who are nervous about what the process looks like, what happens, what are things to expect. Um, I do encourage you if you've been thinking about it, you feel like you could use some help, but you're not sure don't be scared to reach out. Don't be afraid. Don't think that you're going to get hurt or it's going to make things worse. Check it out. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. With that, I thank you for listening. I welcome your feedback. And as always, till next time.